My name All is right. Rick, the host of Real People USA. The goal of Real People USA is to showcase America's finest individuals and small business owners. We support political candidates who want that extra boost through podcast interviews to show their constituents that their campaigns care about communities before, during, and after elections. The Real People USA podcast is a pro-capitalism platform which advocates for more Americans to embrace the free enterprise system, which is one of the top sources for our life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness. Today's Real People USA guest is Loveland Gwynn, a 2020 congressional candidate out of New York State, out of District 13 in New York City. Loveland is the founder of the Rhino Project. And let me just tell you a little about the Rhino Project. Uh, the, the theme is, is to stop the Republican elites. The Rhino Project is a campaign to hold Rhino politicians accountable. Uh, Loveland goes on to say, we will not stand by while they portray their constituents and this country by failing to uphold our cons constitutional rights. We are running a campaign to oppose them and support their challengers who have committed to support free market, liberty-focused policy. Your support will go towards television and radio advertisements, door knocking, direct mail campaigning, email voter outreach, a billboard campaign, and targeted digital advertising. Loveland Gwen is an Asian Pacific Islander from Maui, Hawaii, who has lived in Harlem as a homeowner and entrepreneur for 20 plus years. Loveland has a deep passion for New York City and improving Harlem, welcoming the diversity of thought, identity, and ethnicity. After years of working to improve the quality of life for her neighbors in her community, she sees the city in decline again due to the progressive policies of Mayor Bill de Blasio and Representative and Representative Adriano Espalat of the 13th Congressional District. Loveland's successful start in Harlem real estate was featured in the book, Start Late, Finish Rich, a no-fail plan for achieving financial freedom at any age. And it's written by David Bach and multiple uh, articles that she's written, including the New York Times and New York Magazine. Before becoming self-employed as a real estate professional, Loveland worked for 13 years as an entertainment travel coordinator for international promotional tours with major entertainment and recording labels such as Warner Music Group, Sony, Viacom, and EMI. During this time, Loveland observed how corporate America could simultaneously give a young startup artist a chance of their life and then drain them of their financial futures, tying them to forever uh, to bogus contracts. Loveland decided at this point, the only way to find freedom was to invest in herself and work very hard to secure her financial future. Loveland believes America was built on small businesses and, and individuality. The American dream, not on corporate behemoths, the people with small business owners have been forgotten. It should be a little easier to make it and not drown. A self-described pragmatist, Loveland looks at things logically and then takes the necessary steps to solve problems. Being successful is more about being resourceful than anything else. In 2020, Loveland was unexpectedly called 
to step in and run for political office. As the Republican nominee for Congress in 2020, it became clear that Americans had a choice to make. We must choose representatives that will not surrender our borders, our culture, our rights as American citizens to immigrants, established politicians, or the global corporations pandering to them. We must support representatives and future candidates that put America first. So that is who Loveland Gwen is all about. So without further delay, I want to welcome Loveland Gwen to the Real People USA podcast. Hello, Loveland. How are you doing today? Hello. Thank you so much for having me on your podcast. I really appreciate and, being here. You're welcome. You're totally welcome. And, uh, you know, this is a, a New York City to California podcast interview. So I want to thank you for your time. I know you have a busy schedule. So I want to, um, again, thank you for your time. It's a pleasure to connect with you. You and I spent about 45 minutes on the phone last Friday as we discussed your 2020 congressional run and the ins and outs of New York State and New York City Republican Party. Uh, management of, of the campaign. So I just have a few questions and I would love for you to introduce yourself to our listeners. My first question is for you to tell our listeners about Loveland Gwen, such as where you're from and what is your past or current work experience? Okay. Well, I'm Loveland Gwen and currently, um, well, I, I'm self-employed. So I have a basket of different things I do. I, I'm a real estate investor. I manage real estate for others. I, you know, I also have some senior citizens that I am the acting uh, trustee executor for. And I currently work on a few uh, political projects. So that's my current thing. In the past, I am originally from Hawaii, Maui, Hawaii. I moved to New York almost 30 years ago, a little over 30 years ago, and moved here with pretty much nothing. But I saw the opportunity here. I was like, if anybody was to ever make it, this is the place. You can make it here. You just have to be very um, strong and persevere and to be able to make it. Um, you know, you can't give up. You have to just be willing to sacrifice a little in the beginning. And in the end, I think for me, it worked out very well. Um, you know, as far as, you know, coming here, I've lived in New York City. I've lived in Brooklyn. I've lived on the... Um, east side of, of Midtown East, and then I've also lived um, in East Harlem. So I've been, you know, had the opportunity to live, and I finally landed in Harlem. Excellent, excellent. So you ran for Congress in New York District 13 in 2020. What motivated you to take this leadership effort to serve District 13 residents as a member of Congress? Well, I, I don't know that there was something really motivated. It was really a conversation that happened amongst neighbors. Um, my neighbors were trying to decide who was going to run for office for our district. And there were some people who wanted to step up and run, but because the left, they're so radical here and they don't really respect boundaries of people, they were afraid for their families. They have children, they have wives. They were like, you know, I'd really like to run. I think I could do a good job, but I'm afraid that my children and my family will suffer. They'll go under attack. And so, you know, this is something where we were looking around to who would be willing to run. I actually have to be single. I don't have children. You know, I, I don't have anybody to worry about other than I have a cat and a dog. So they approached me, you know, Lovin, would you consider running? I said, well, I know nothing about this. I, I've never had any inclinations towards politics as far as running goes. I'm a business person. And they pretty much said, listen, we'll help you. Um, 
please, you know, run what will help you along the way. And so then I basically said, sure, I'll, I'll, I'll consider it. And I ended up going to um, a Manhattan district leaders meeting, which I thought I was just going to go to observe. I did not know that I was called upon for anything. And then all of a sudden I was called upon to speak for three minutes, which I'm looking around thinking, wow, I wasn't planning on speaking. I have nothing prepared. But um, I felt my body get up and walk towards the podium. I'm thinking, hmm, here is a long time to talk when you have nothing ready to go. And uh, but I introduced myself and I spoke from my heart about you know my neighborhood and what was going on and the decline and things. And after three minutes, people actually stood and applauded. And by the end of the night, I had um, obtained the um, endorsement of the Manhattan GOP. So <laughs> I went home that night kind of shocked of all of it I'm like how did this happen I was just supposed to go for an observe now they think I'm running I called my friend up who's in Texas who ran for Congress in 2018 and I explained he's like you're supposed to just go and observe I said I know but this is what happened he goes well now you have to run so thankfully I felt like Cinderella at that moment he called him a bunch of folks immediately and got me a treasurer got me digital media got me all the people I needed he goes okay this will get you started and I guess you're going to run. I said, okay. This was like end of February in 2020, right before the pandemic really hit. Um, here, the pandemic, everything started shutting down right around March 15th. So, you know, I thought, okay, well, this is coming along nicely until all of a sudden, you know, they started telling people, well, you can't, you know, go out and campaign and you can't do this. And I'm like, well, how does one run a campaign and, and, and do this? If, Nobody's had a playbook for how to do this during a pandemic, apparently. So I just, in the beginning, kind of sat in my house and didn't know what to do. And then I was like, you have to call people. Who do I call? So I called my friend back and said, people keep telling me I have to call people. Who do I call? I said, I don't know, is there white pages of people that I just call? White pages of Republicans that I just call and ask them for money for my campaign? He's like, no, you need a campaign fundraising coach. He got me somebody really fantastic. I had Dr. Gavin Clarkson, who ran for Senate in uh, 2018, and he helped me get through the process. I had never cold called before. I'd never done any of this before, so the learning curve was absolutely huge. And, um, but I, I did it, I, I got, hey, I, I, did, I did my very best. And I, I tell people that know me, um, you know, are actually very proud. It's like, you know, for a person who knew nothing, to just jump in and uh, take this on, you know, I, 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 I did my best and I actually raised some real money you know, and I and I, I really put myself out there, and because it was the deepest blue district in the entire country, the D plus 43, I was able to get some media attention because of that. Um, it, it just kind of morphed into its own thing. So <laughs> when you say D43, that means there's 43 Democrats to one Republican. That's right. Wow, wow. And do you believe that D43 is an accurate assessment of, of the district? The 43 to 1, is that, do you think that's uh, well, accurate or is that a number that they just threw out there? Here's the thing, I do actually believe it's accurate, but I also believe that a lot of Republicans here will register as Democrats so that they can have a say in voting because, for example, this last primary, which was just was last week, Tuesday, we had, um, I regist I'm registered as a Republican, so the only thing I had to vote on was the mayor which um, our primary for the mayor, which was uh, Curtis Lewa and uh, Fernando Mateo. I didn't have any other choices because unfortunately there were no Republicans running for any council seats or actually any other thing. They're all Democrats. So a lot of um, Republicans feel if they would like to have a choice in 
in their, in their state of exactly who leads. The only way to do that is, unfortunately, to register as a Democrat so that when these primaries come up, you actually can participate in the primaries. Interesting. So you mentioned yeah. you mentioned earlier that the reason why some people do not run as Republicans is because they they fear. And I'm going to use my word like re- retribution. So do you think that's is that a big item where if you run in New York City, you have to worry about, well, will my car get scratched? Will my house get you know vandalized? Will I have to will, will I have people walking behind me, you know, down the, down the sidewalk at one o'clock in the morning? Is that the is that the picture that you're painting that there's actually a a fear element in deciding to yeah, run in I'm, New York City? There, there is a fear element, particularly in when you start speaking about things that are conservative in nature and constitutional in nature. There is, and it and it's real. I, I um, live in a brownstone, so I don't live in an elevated doorman building. I'm not really protected in that way, and I was actually very concerned with um, what might happen. So a lot of me in the beginning kind of laid low because I really didn't want to be a victim of any kind of violence or any kind of anything. Um, And I, it took a while for me to kind of find my footing because I saw what could happen to you. Um, People will threaten you. And I had threats online and it was kind of scary, threatening to burn down my house and threatening, you know, crazy. And I'm like, I'm just trying to represent a part of our, our district here. I'm not, you know, trying to do anything that's illegal or immoral or anything. But people here, they, they take it um, quite seriously. And wow. it is a real fear. I did have someone throw a bottle at me while I was walking down the street. I realized they recognized who I was. And it was actually a scary moment. It didn't hit me, but it crashed behind me. And I was, I, it startled me. Um, it's kind of crazy. <laughs> that's all I can say. You know. Yeah, that's uh, that that is that is that sounds like a very uh, intimidating uh, process. And once you get started, it seems like you know, my gosh, you have to you know look look behind you, you know, all the time when you're out and about and and care about the safety of your residents and and your and yourself. So here's my next question: You started the Rhino Project and included some very recognizable names on your list as the worst rhino offenders. What was yeah. the, the impetus to start the rhino project and why label these re, these Republicans, these rhinos, Republican and, and name only politicians as the worst offenders? Well, I started thinking about, no one ever really talks about what do you do after the election and you don't win? What's next? You know, there's a moment of this emotional drop. Like, you know, I went for months of having to do all these different things to support a campaign and, and run. And all of a sudden, the day after, okay, it's over. There's no more interviews. There's no really anything going on. And there is an emotional drop to that. And I sort of think, what, what's my next move here? I, I, I find that I'm actually enjoying being in this realm of politics. I, I actually am finding I enjoy it a lot, but I just didn't think that it was really wouldn't be a great idea for me to run again because I just felt like, yes, I did learn a lot this first time, but because the district is so gerrymandered, I, I just didn't think that it made sense to go down that road. So I started looking around to see what else could I do. And a friend of mine said, well, why don't you look around and see if there's some projects that maybe you could take on and maybe people would give you some guidance for. And so, you know, there were a few groups that did approach me with projects they wanted, um, somebody to you know attend to, and they would offer me some support in in a house to go about it and all of that. And I, 
but nothing really struck me as, you know, struck my heart. So someone came to me with the Rhino Project, and then I was like, okay, now, now we're talking about something that I'm kind of interested in, because for me, in my personal world, betrayal is the ultimate. Like, I can tolerate a lot of things amongst my friends, I can tolerate a lot of coworkers, but betrayal is really hard. And at the end of this, Rhino is really, it's, it's about betrayal. These people, they get elected, they promise their constituents, they're gonna do certain things, they're gonna uphold certain values. They're going to, you know, follow constants. You're going to, and then the minute they get into office, they do the exact opposite. They do things that serve themselves. They do, they forget about people who voted them into office. And it's really kind of ugly, that whole betrayal thing. And I thought, you know, this is something that really needs to be kind of like looked at. And not only looked at, but called out. When people are doing this, they need to be told, listen, you know, this is unacceptable. I'm calling you out. Nobody's really spent time calling them out before. Um, until I decided that you know, this was something we should do. So I went and looked for the, the I had a choice of a total of 10, I chose eight, um, the worst offenders. And some of them, like right out of the gate, Peter Meyer in Michigan is one really good example. Right out of the gate, he gets the election, based on, he promises he's gonna, you know, support President Trump, he's going to follow our council, he's gonna do all these things for, to benefit the district in Michigan. And the minute he gets in, he votes to impeach President Trump. He votes to do things to damage the, the, the businesses that are in Michigan. And my mother was curious. My mom lives in Michigan. She said, it was so upset. She said, I voted. I trusted this guy. And look what he did. He went and did everything opposite that he promised on the campaign trail. And I'm like, yeah, people feel it. I, I feel that. I, I can feel that. So that's kind of how I got started in it. And, um, you know, it, it's sort of taken a life on from there and and I have them all across the country I you know didn't really stick to one part of the country there are more rhinos than I can afford to go after you know each rhino we have a budget of about 350,000 to a million dollars depending on the rhinos market so it's a lot of money for me to raise and um, I think eight is more than enough for now if I find um, I can raise more money I'll probably add a few more because we, we definitely need to go after the rest of them but I'm doing my part what well, sounds like if you ever decide to change the name of your project, it should be the Liar Project. <laughs> I mean, Rhino, Rhino is an appropriate name. Don't get me wrong, but what you just described, um, based on what you, how your, what your mother felt, how your mother felt after she voted for this Meyer guy, uh, Liar Project is is real close to Rhino Project. So, so let me. Um, <laughs> I know. That's gonna, that's gonna encompass Democrats. I, I, I am one person. Listen, <laughs> I have, I can handle eight for now. Wow, wow. So, so let's, know, so let's look at. Look at so let's look at some. Let's look at a national look. Uh, uh, let me have a. I have a national question. How do you see the country's posture or status uh, across the board under under the current congressional and presidential leadership? How are we doing? We've become the laughing stock. Every I watch, I watch the, the Biden administration, and half the time he doesn't know where he is. They're afraid to let him speak. You've got Kamala's laughing like a hyena. I'm thinking the other world leaders must be just watching this, and it's like really a clown show. And it, it would be funny if it just wasn't us. If it was some other country, and I could watch it from a distance, this would actually be hilarious. This would be great for a sitcom. Somebody should 
in LA should write write a write a sitcom and they could have season upon season upon season of material to write on. But right. um, because it's our country, it's hard to um, it's hard to take sometimes. I see it's sad where we've come and I and how quick we've gone down. You know, this I, I said, well, this went down so fast that you know, within you know, like six months, seven months, this is like where we are. I, I, I can't imagine what's going to happen after a year, much less four years. You know, I, oh, I don't gosh. know. Not that, yeah. Not well, I know gas prices, uh, LA is now $5.50, and I'm quite sure it's, it's, it's probably just as high in New York City. And uh, yeah, so yeah, it's no, been a, a complete disaster. Yeah, I'm noticing our energy prices in general. I don't own a car, but I do occasionally take cars, and, you know, the Uber prices have gone up exponentially because of the you know prices of the gas plus our lovely mayor has added some extra things to deter people because he does not feel that regular people should be able to take car service only the elite so they've added things like congested pricing taxes and black car taxes and now you know when you take an uber anywhere all of the taxes add up and it, it, it really adds to a significant amount to the cost so you know it's no longer for us little people um, to take cars only he should drive around and have two SUVs follow him everywhere he goes but you know meantime us I guess we're relegated to walking or take a city bike or take the subway which isn't so safe these days oh yes yeah I, I, I recall one of my rides I had in, in New York City years ago and I was I was said to myself it was probably like 10 30 at night and I said I am so glad that I'm like six, you know, 250. I said to myself, if I was, you know, a little guy or maybe a, a, a small woman, that ride would have been so fearful at 1030 at night, uh, a ride from Queens to, to the next des destination. I said to myself, oh my gosh, it's, it's almost like being in a cage and you can't get out when you want to get out. <laughs> yeah, that was years ago, you know, and I went through that because I've been here long enough to see the evolution. We were actually, I lived here, one, it was dangerous, when you would never dare to take the subway above 86th Street uh, because mm. it was just not safe. And then we went through a period of having Giuliani here. We had the safest um, period here where things really, you know, there was no reason to fear anything. Everything was very safe. We had, you know, tourists could be relatively safe here. You still use common sense, but relatively safe. And even, you know, Bloomberg carried on a lot of the Giuliani things that kept the city safe. So, unfortunately, when de Blasio came on board, a lot of that was eroded away. And after eight years, we're, we're reverted back. And so, you know, I've seen this go full circle. You know, it went from being unsafe to very safe to back to unsafe. Wow, wow. So let's jump back into New York City. So what did you learn when you ran about uh, New York City GOP internal politics? And specifically, do you think the process to bring candidates uh, to New York City, to the New York City, um, let me ask that question again. Do you think the process to bring candidates as Republicans to New York City is effective or ineffective, or perhaps do you think it's really screwed up? Well, I'll go with number three. It's really screwed up. Um, I actually walked in not really knowing anything. I didn't know any of these people. I didn't know anything. I literally walked in completely blind. I, and I was very naive. I really 
you know, in my mind, I thought, I'm going to run for Congress. You know, I really want to represent all of our district. Right now, our current representation only represents a small segment of our, our district. People above 155th Street, but the district goes down to almost 96th Street. What about the rest of us down here, south of 150th? Nobody pays attention to us. You know, and, and what about the people who are not, um, you know, Latinos and not Dominican, from the Dominican Republic? We, we don't deserve to be represented. Um, we have a very diverse neighborhood here with people like me from Pacific Island, Asian Pacific Islander. We have Caucasian people here. We have other uh, people here who live here, but they're, 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 our segment is really, the representation is really only for those from the Dominican Republic and, and Latinos, and they just forget about the rest of us, like, oh, well, you know, whatever. You guys can send for yourself. I, um, only recently was there an article that kind of put it all together in all in one place. And the, 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 the crux of it is, is that the Manhattan GOP doesn't really do their job. What they should be doing is going out and making sure that we have candidates in all these places. That city council, we shouldn't have a city council um, districts that don't have anybody running as Republican against the Democrats. Because what happens is we just hand them then these wins by default. They, they Democrats win these districts by default because we don't put up any challengers. And the reality is, is because the Manhattan GOP doesn't go out and seek people to go out and. Um, run to these offices and there are plenty of good people it's a city with millions of people with you know lots of people who are small businesses who would be excellent uh, city council members and be able to you know do the job very well but it's, it never crossed their mind this way I never thought I'd ever run for Congress and someone approached me um, then it never happened and so that's I think the biggest problem we have um, a Manhattan GOP chairperson who's more interested in being on Instagram and um, <laughs> you know the latest bikini fashion and, and basically being an Instagram model than actually doing the actual work that it takes. And that is the hardest pill I think for me to kind of take sometimes. I think I see what other states do with their uh, chair people. Hawaii is a good one. They have a fantastic chairwoman there and I see how hard she works making sure that all the districts have, you know, Republicans running in them and how much support she gives them and stuff. And I was like, that's really amazing when I see what other states do. And yet for Manhattan, being one of the, you know, most moneyed um, areas, we do so little, you know? Wow. So here's a follow-up question I have um, to the to how, to which, how you just replied. So does the New York City Republican group have too much control in who is nominated to run because I'm sensing if someone does step up do they have the, the power to say um, you can you even though you, you're stepping up we're not going to let you in is, is that is that an appropriate did I add did I answer, ask that well, question correctly I think what it is is they just don't support you so the thing is to run for office you need support you need help. This is not something that one does alone. This is not the lone ranger of things to do. This is something where you really need to be able to ask for help and to be able to accept help. Um, it's not something to be done alone. And I think in the past, when I see, particularly, and I'll talk about my experience with running for Congress, the past two cycles, in 16 and 18, the people that ran were basically placeholders. In 16, the guy that ran, he raised zero dollars. He spent zero dollars. 
He didn't really campaign. He was just a placeholder on the on the on the ballot. And then in 18, there was a woman who ran, and you know, I'll give her some credit. She at least spent five thousand dollars of her own money to probably get a treasurer, most likely. Um, and but she didn't campaign. She didn't raise. She didn't raise any outside money. She didn't do anything. So she wasn't a real candidate in that respect either. It was just another placeholder. And I think when I took on this, they expected me to be the same. I don't think they knew what kind of resources I had. They really didn't know anything about me. I came out of the blue. I, they didn't know anything. I have a lot of resources that people don't expect. I know people who ran for Congress, who know people and, and, and could get me on my feet. And um, I actually did raise real money. I raised close to 50000 I think, total. And uh, I put in my own money as well. I, I put in 10000 to get me off the ground. So, I mean, it was something that I don't think they anticipated, but they also refused, they didn't help me. And in fact, the uh, Harlem GOP district leader decided he was going to hold a fundraiser for my Democratic opponent. And so he had a barbecue. Talk about a rhino, right? <laughs> my Democratic opponent. And then he invites me to say, I'm like, wait a minute. How come you're holding fundraiser for this? My Democratic opponent, this, this this radical leftist, and then you're also honoring gang members. We have Bam Bam, the notorious gang member who's known for murdering you. Like, I don't associate with people like that. That's not my world. And he goes, well, the gang people are voters too. I'm like, I don't care. <laughs> they're a minority, I hope, in this district. You know, if they're a majority, we have a problem here, bigger than me running for Congress. And I was like, so I, I had my own surprise along the way. So they really, if anything, worked against me at times. Um, they didn't support me at all. And I went back to Manhattan GOP and I told them about the situation with the Harlem GOP district leader. Um, they really didn't do much. They, they, oh, well, we'll talk to him. I'm like, you know, why is he still the district leader? He's obviously not a Republican. And yet, you know, this person just used it as an opportunity to go to the White House and, you know, photo opportunities with President Trump or whatever. But you know, it was kind of a very strange um, awakening. All I can say was a strange awakening. And I, I didn't anticipate that. That is totally wild. I mean, of all the stories that I've heard about people running, that one thing that you just mentioned, I think you mentioned that last week when we talked, that is totally unbelievable that a uh, Harlem GOP person would, would bring in, you know, someone notorious. I'm not sure who this person is that you're talking about, but bring this person in. Now, did they ask you to take a photo a photo op with this person or? <laughs> well, no, actually, they actually, what, I wasn't invited in the beginning. And only when I called him out, I said, well, hey, wait a minute, what, what are you doing? You know, I, 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 I sent him an email. I said, Look, and I took a picture, a screenshot of the, and he posted the invitation on his own Facebook page. And I, took a screenshot of it because it didn't even say Republican, it's just a Harlem district leader. So he didn't want to say that he was Republican. And I was like, I have a lot of problems with this. You're supposed to be helping me and yet you're not helping me. This guy also ran for state Senate, which is pretty funny as a Republican. I'm like, so you're running as a Republican for state Senate. You are hosting a fundraiser for Congressman Adriana Espaillat, who's my Democratic opponent. I don't understand. I don't understand. I, this I just can't even comprehend. And as I was fairly naive, I, I, I knew that politics was dirty. <laughs> what I did not anticipate was how dirty. <laughs> I, um, 
you know, I, I think for me, it was a level of shock. I was like, you've got to be kidding me. What on earth, you know? Yeah, I'm shocked. I'll just, I'll just be yeah. blunt. I am shocked with that. that. That just totally blows me away. So here's a question. I just like another sort of like a follow-up question. And I don't know the answer to this question. And hopefully you will answer the question that most people would say they would, they would have a, a sigh of relief. Can a congressional candidate bypass the NYC GOP machine and just go straight to the people? Meaning can someone just sign up and say, I want to run and then have that paperwork go through the process and that person run without any involvement with the NYC GOP machine? So here, here's the thing. Technically, the answer is yes, you could. But I think it makes it more difficult. And I will give you an example. So recently, um, when we have our mayor race, Curtis Sliwa was originally the candidate that Manhattan GOP endorsed. And then all of a sudden, I'm reading they switched their endorsement to Fernando Mateo. And apparently, there was come back to a meeting between the Bronx uh, GOP leader and the Manhattan GOP, and they decided for some reason, I, I'm assuming it might have been money, uh, a monetary reason, um, to switch their endorsement over. And so I, it, there is a lot that sort of goes on that maybe I'm not always privy to, but I, I there, it, it makes it more difficult. So I think if it was somebody who was a local celebrity or something who was known for doing good, yes, you could probably pull this off. But mm, that would mm. be the only way. If you're really well known, you know, in the, as a local celebrity, you know, the Kim Kardashian or something of, of, of Harlem. I mean, basically, mm -hmm. who, who does a lot of good or whatever, maybe you could pull this off, but not the way it is now. Now, Curtis Sliwa, he's, he's, the, he's the guardian angel guy, guy, right? Yes. And I actually didn't yeah. realize they have guardian angel um, chapters all in several different, like, I think, 13 different countries. So I actually... Um, did not know this. So these are things that, you know, make me, I was in the beginning wondering, you know, how is he, um, is he really qualified to be mayor? But in learning that, I was like, yeah, no, he, he'll have the qualifications. He'll know what to do. And mm -hmm. I, I, I personally believe that he, he could be a very good mayor for us. But um, I believe with Eric Adams, that his, his Democrat, and I, I end up thinking that the former police officer will most likely end up being our mayor. I, I pray that um, he will, do the right thing, even though he's a Democrat. Because not all Democrats are bad, just some. <laughs> we do have yeah. some Democrats who are moderates and who actually want to do the right thing. They're just few and far in between these days, you know? So I hope, gotcha. you know, for our, for our city. So I have like maybe one or two more questions to go. So, sure. you know, New York City, perhaps Los Angeles, Seattle, Portland, it looks like they've been struck with this, uh, this ever-growing socialism and also call it communism light mode, especially in the last uh, 12 months or, or year and a half. But, and then some of yeah. these, these uh, cities have been in this uh, socialism, communist light mode for, for a while. How has the Democrat socialism uh, platform that was promoted by Bernie Sanders impacted the five New York City boroughs in the last you know, two years, four years, or since de Blasio has been in office? Well, I can tell you what I've seen recently. So AOC has now become the face of the Democratic Socialist. And what I can tell you recently is that um, people are leaving the city in droves. And because 
They want to tax the rich. What they don't understand is that the people who are, quote, the rich people, are the ones who provide jobs. You know, my street, um, last year I had a lot. Somebody decided to put door knockers signs on everybody's door. It says, tax the rich. Now, I happen to live on a street of wealthy people. These people are plastic surgeons. They are doctors. You know, they, they have their own practice. Some of them are business people. They have their own, you know, businesses, and they provide employment for others. And I noticed that all of a sudden there are a whole bunch of for sale signs on my street where before all of this happened, I used to get letters in the mail saying, would you consider selling your home? And I'm like, no, where am I going? I, I like my home. A, unless I leave the state, I'm not going to sell my home. There were very rarely a home on this particular street for sale. Rarely was there ever. And maybe if some you know, older person passed away or something, a home would become available. But in general, it just didn't happen. And now we've got, I think, four or five of them on my street for sale because these people are leaving. They're going to Florida, they're going to Texas. My next door neighbor was going to Austin, her house on the market. And it, it's, in the end, it's gonna be bad because you know we need people to provide jobs for others. We need business, small business owners. You know, plastic surgeon is, in my world, a small business owner. They have an office and they have to have you know, receptionists and, and people to help with the patients and processing you know, medical um, insurance or whatever it is that they do. We need these small businesses, and if you, quote, scare them away by threatening to tax them to death, who's going to employ people here? Who's going to, you know, who's going to take this on? You know, can't, everybody can't work for the city, you know, and <laughs> so what we're going to do, have people work, you know, basically, so then they're going to be perpetually unemployed, and I, I have to wonder if that's really the design of this, that that's what they want. They want people perpetually unemployed so they can get them used to accepting money from the government, which means now that they're under, you know, you that's your new slave master, that's, you, you're under control from them. And you have to do what they tell you to do and, and, and march to their drum because otherwise they'll take your, you know, money away, which means you won't be able to eat or pay your rent or whatever. And, and I, I do think that it's um, scary, actually. It's scary. And how scarier it is is that the young people have bought into this. That, Oh, it's not real socialism. It's democratic socialism. No, socialism is socialism. I don't care what name you put in front of it, you know. But they've somehow been brainwashed into thinking that this is something different, and it's mm -hmm. not. Well, I got two. I got two more questions. Actually, one question, and then, then you can have some closing comments. But um, you know, Democrats. It seems like uh, they're making the news and they're trying to use a mega microphone to talk about uh, racism, inequality. Uh, everything else under the, under the sun to portray 50% Americans in a bad light. What are your thoughts about Democrats saying a lot of incendiary comments about racism and inequality and Black Lives Matter? Um, and and what, how do you feel about this this uh, these tones that they're taking met to divide the country? It's exactly that. To divide the country, I will share with you something that most people don't know about me, and that um, I actually am an undercover evaluator. So sometimes I, I work for companies that they need someone to go in and check on service, and sometimes because I'm brown, I'm asked to go and check on to see if there's racism. Um, mm. And I will happily tell you that I've been sent to some very high-end places. And they've been treated very well. So I have not seen personally 
race and other than a couple places and i've probably done hundreds of these and maybe i could tell you two places in the city where i've kind of experienced it and it makes me really sad because i just i i, I forget sometimes you know i think about it, like, oh, I, i've worked so hard to get to where i am why are you treating me this way just because i'm not white or whatever to me it makes me really sad because i i feel like i've worked so hard but in general i don't see it that way i don't i believe it is something completely manufactured that they make up to exactly that to divide us and you know a lot of times what is called racism unfortunately really classism you know people think that people are poor so therefore they don't treat them the same but that's a different animal classism is not racism racism is based on the color of your skin classism is because someone thinks that you walk in a cartier and you can't afford to buy their product and mm -hmm. therefore they don't treat you the same and i've always been very careful i i have moonlighted for the holiday season a few years back in Saxon. I remember a very nice little lady came in, she was a bag lady, and, and she ended up wanting to buy some gifts for her children, her adult children, and I was kind to her, and you know, I, and she had literally hundreds of dollars in what looked like a shopping bag that she spent on gifts at Patch, and you would never know that that lady had money, she looked like a dirty homeless person, and you would have never known. And I, I as I, I tend to be a person to treat people kindly, regardless, because you just never know. And, um, the other sales first people on the floor were turning their nose up and I said, this is really not nice. You don't know. You know, I, I have nothing better to do. I'm paid to be here to help people regardless and I might as well help this lady, you know? So mm -hmm. when time came and the sales were rung up and it was close to $3,000, I think they were very upset they didn't approach her um, <laughs> and help her, you know? So, and so I, I've, I've seen this on my own, but I, I think that sometimes that's more likely what happens if it happens at all. Um, but. My experience has been is a lot of it is fabricated. It's made up to divide people. Um, I, you know, I, I just don't really see so much of it here. Years ago, I think there was more, maybe, but modern times now. So it's really sad that the media has really not become our friend and that they only report what they want to report. And in so many ways, it damages us because with the media, when they report these things, then they make people oversensitive to stuff. The other thing they do is not report certain things. So, you know, if there's more crime in your neighborhood and you don't realize that there's more crime in the neighborhood and you're unaware, you know, then you can easily become a victim because your aware level isn't where it should be. You know, neighborhoods that you crime is rising, you probably shouldn't walk around wearing your headphones. You need to walk down the street and have your full attention in your wits about you. But if you weren't aware that the, the neighborhood has shifted because it's not being reported in the media, you might just be, oh, la-di-da, and the next thing you know, you're a victim of some crime that could have probably been prevented had you just been, you know, more aware of what was your surroundings. Um, yeah. Yeah, exactly. And I will tell you, you know, you know, I recall New York City, <clears throat> I've been there several times and have some relatives uh, in Queens. And I will tell you that when I was there as a teenager, you know, New York City is now like it was in the 70s when you saw like up in up in the, I think it's the, the Grand Concourse area of the Bronx mm -hmm. where you had mm -hmm. people living in when I saw people living in these uh, these uh, uh, apartments. I think they called them some, something else. Um, there were apartments and I said to myself, man, that place is run down, man. I, I, can't anyone live in there? Then the next thing I know, I see people coming out with their kids, you know, families coming out, kids going to school, school buses, you know, stopping in front, taking them to the, to the, uh, the, the certain school schools in that area. 
And now I see New York, and this is like maybe 30 years later, I see New York City being in the same mode it was in the late 70s, early 80s. So what you're telling me is you were near NYCHA. So New York uh, City Housing Authority, that's called NYCHA. Yes. So they're basically the project. And yes. what's really sad about the project, and this is actually where corrupt politicians come in. I'm not sure if you're aware, but particularly with COVID, you know, millions of dollars were supposed to come down to help the New York City Housing Authority in COVID cleaning, for example, and things. And what usually ends up happening, unfortunately, is that the congressperson lobbies for these millions of dollars. You know, they're supposed to wait and we should get 25 million for our district just to do uh, cleaning for COVID. But the housing, this never, the money never gets to them because what ends up happening is the congressman, maybe he, you know, helps assign the money to a third party. They're supposed to do the job and then they basically kick some of the money back to him. And it's, it's really basically laundered out to a place where none of the money ever goes to to fix the problem that was supposed to, to fix. And I actually thought that was very sad. It was part of why I decided to run because I thought that this was something that really shouldn't happen at all um, and really needs to be looked at. But it's rampant. It's, it's not just this. It's any kind of thing where money is allocated to come down from the federal government um, to districts and then the money never goes anywhere because they it basically is you know wandered out and returned back to the corrupt politicians or whatever same thing in california with the homeless how much money has gone to supposedly help your homeless problem you should not have homeless there for as much money has gone out there but meantime <laughs> the money somehow just disappears isn't it amazing where does that money go oh yeah we, like we've uh, seen this story over and over and over again coming out of uh, sacramento uh, which is where I'm actually located. It's, mm-hmm. uh, it's, it's, it's a dire situation. So here's my closing comment, or I'm gonna ask you for your closing comments, that is, mm-hmm. where can people go to learn about the Rhino Project and donate to bring uh, credible, qualified GOP candidates to the American people who are craving America First-like candidates with the same fervor and love of country like President Donald Trump? Well, it's the rhinoproject.com. You can go and visit. You can learn about my rhinos and, and you can reach out to me. I also write articles on Substack so you can read what I have to say there. Um, and I, and I, and I talk about, you know, the, the rhino situation. And I think that, um, the important thing is every person, often we feel very small. We don't really feel that we can, we have any power to do anything. But the reality is we actually have a lot of power. We have our voices, we have our vote. And so I'm just one person. So this is what I decided to do. And, you know, you make coalitions and, and, and projects with others. I actually am also on something called Constitutional Action Force, which is also what Rhonda Kennedy, Rhonda Kennedy is part of. And that's a, uh, another organization that basically helps to train. They seek out and train um, constitutional-minded, conservative, Republican candidates. So for me, this was a good partnership because in having the rhino, part, I don't want to replace one rhino with another. That would be pointless. So I need to make sure that we replace rhinos with good with good candidates. So that was a way for me to accelerate meeting good candidates and kind of being able to work it out because our country is big and I can't be in a million places all at once. So that kind of helps out. And I really think that people need to not wait around. You have to be the hero that you've been waiting for. You have to be the leader that you've been waiting for. You can't just sit around and wait for someone else to step up. 
You know, and I realized that early on, I'm going to be the leader that I've been waiting for. I've been waiting for this person to come and take lead, when the reality is, is the person who can come and take lead is me. And so my message to everybody who's listening is that please step up and, and be the leader that you've been waiting for. Don't, you can't wait around and hope that somebody else comes and, and saves our country or step up to be the leader that you can support. It is going to take people like us who are, you know, have common sense and, and support our country and love this country and support our constitution to step up and, and be those leaders and just know that there is support for you out there. Constitutional Action Force is always on the lookout for leaders up and down ballot, you know, we're starting with the Senate and Congress, but we'll be working all the way down ballot with that. And it's important to realize that first. You can't be waiting around at all. Excellent closing comments. I couldn't have said it better. I want to thank you, Loveland Gwynn, small business owner, former District 13 2020 congressional candidate in New York City for being a guest on the Real People USA podcast. And to learn more about Loveland Gwen, uh, you can get more information and or donate at rhinoproject.com. That's R-I-N-O project.com. And if you want to be a guest on the Real People USA podcast to tell your story, please email Rick at rpusa at protonmail.com. Thank you, Loveland Gwen. You have a great day in New York City. And thanks for being a guest. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. All right. Have a great day. Bye-bye.